0: I've chosen a clip, and we won't watch too much of it because of time, but we'll watch a couple of minutes of it anyway, of Christy Nichols um, just worshipping Jesus. This is kind of going to be the clip that we play a few times through this series. Because actually it's all about Jesus.
1: Let it be Jesus the first name that I call, and let it be Jesus. My song inside the storm. I'll never need another.
0: look, if you're not enjoying your Christian life, it might be because you've got religion. <clears throat> religion is an antivirus to true Christianity. Yeah. It's about rules and regulations, and I've got, the, I've got the, the manual, and I do this, and this is what it means, and someday I'll find heaven. You've got the wrong thing if, if, you're, if you're living that way. It's about Jesus. And we need revelation of Jesus. We need... See, see, there are moments in time when truth that we understand actually so- suddenly become real. I pray, God, let truth about Jesus become real today for every one of us, because you are the center. We're going to worship you like that for who knows how long. When we first get to heaven, we're just going to be in this concert with you as the as the center, and all of all of eternity. All of time, everything that's been created, even rocks, Lord, everything has a, has a sound to worship. And we are going to be together to worship you. Yeah, good. Oh, God, may, may, may that become something that actually the light goes on and we understand how good that is. Yeah. That's not boring. We understand how good it is. Hey, are you ready to think this morning? Yep. Good, because this is the first one. And um, I, I think it will, this series will mess with your theology, and I think that's good, so get out your Bibles, study your Bibles, read Galatians over and over, because um, often what we've got is man's ideas rather than what God actually yeah. says. But the result of doing things God's way is actually the pathway of freedom, which gets freer and freer and lighter and lighter until we go into glory, yeah. okay? Um, The problem with many Christians is we're living a mixture of grace plus some law. And Galatians says they absolutely cannot and do not mix. Law and grace. Grace and law. They don't mix. We live in a new covenant. And the Bible in Hebrews says that the new covenant is a better covenant there's probably been five covenants, but there's definitely been three covenants that God has made with people. And we are in the best one. We're in the one that's better than all three before that. The Davidic covenant, the Moses covenant. We're in the covenant of the new covenant that the Bible says is better and has better promises. And the are promises for you. The promises for your life that will make a difference. Let me, let me just jump into Galatians. I'm going to read more scripture than I've ever read in church in one go. Here here we go. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. That's a pretty good start by Paul. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Amen. I'll take that. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us. Say rescue. It's an important word from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And then look at this. I am shocked. This isn't how Paul normally starts a letter, but he does here. I am shocked, he says, that you are turning away so soon from God. Who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone. Including me or including us he says. Or even an angel from heaven. Who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. And he means I preach to you. Paul. I say again that what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. He says, this is pretty obvious. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of men. (laughs) But of God, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. And no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, 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 how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors' religion. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his Son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. And he did that by knocking him off the, the horse he was on, making him blind, putting him on the ground, and, and, and he hears this voice speak to him and said, who are you? And he says, I'm, and the voice speaks to him and says, I'm Jesus, the one that you're trying to persecute. And he gets up blind, but his sight came three days later. Let me go back to the text. Ah, I can't remember where it was. 15. But even before I was born, God chose me. Then it it pleased him to reveal his son in me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I didn't rush out to consult with any human beings. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went to Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I did go to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. And I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria, which we all know about today, and Cilicia. And still the Christians in the churches in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith that he tried to destroy. He's been totally turned around. And they praised God because of Paul. Then 14 years later, so now we're 17 years after Paul got saved, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus. Say Titus. He's a key ingredient in this story. Came along also. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. And while I was there, I met privately with those who who are considered to be the leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was going to be running this race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised though he was a Gentile. He was either a Turk or a Greek. And even that question came up only because some of the so-called Christians, false ones, really, who were secretly brought in, they sneaked in so they could spy on us and take away the freedom. You see, Christianity is actually about setting human beings free for choice, to make positive decisions, free to love God, not robotic. But they wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, religion. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you, he writes, but also for us. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favourites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as the pillars of the church, these are the top guys these are the men, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep on reaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work to the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he arrived, he ate with Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends, or supposed friends from James, came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. How powerful is criticism? That it could cause someone... I mean, Peter was the guy that God used to first reach out to the Gentiles in the first beginning a sheet came down and said with all these unclean things for Jews and 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 Peter said I'll never eat that God and God said don't you ever call anything unclean that I am now calling clean he was saying the Gentiles are clean and Peter knew this really really well but when he came He stopped eating with the Gentiles because of the fear of criticism. How powerful are our words? How much can they damage people when we allow critical things to come out of their lives? Let's not do the the enemy's job. Let's not even ever be his echo of criticizing other people. How powerful is criticism? What verse am I on, by the way? I didn't mean to start preaching. Um, As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. So now you get all the Jewish background Christians eating together. That means when you're eating with someone, you're inviting them in their home, you're you're in their homes, you're in the cafes with them, they're your friends, but then there's these other Christians, the uh, the, the, the the Gentile ones, the non-Jewish ones, two classes. Terrible situation. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are actually living like a Gentile, mate, why are you now trying to make these Gentile followers follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth. And he goes, not sinners. It's a little bit of the racial kind of background that he carries as as a... Pharisees been raised and that somehow the, the Jews are better than every other race on the earth. Not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. He's talking about the Old Testament law. The law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, plus all the hundreds of others. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we're found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? He doesn't actually answer this question. It's a huge question. Graham probably get around to answering it for you. But what he does say is he says, absolutely not. Christ is not ever leading us into sin. Grace never leads us into a right to be able to sin. Can I get an amen? Amen. We misunderstand grace when we think that it allows us to be able to sin. But he says, look at this. Rather, I and you, Peter, am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. I wonder if you can see it. For when I tried to keep, Paul says, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for Christ. Live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was actually no need for Jesus to go to the cross and die if we can do it. I just want to take you through this passage quickly. Um the first thing I want you to know is Paul is really stirred up. He's ticked off. In verse 6, he says, I'm shocked that you're turning away. In the NIV, it says, I am astonished that you are quickly deserting Christ and are turning to a different gospel that actually is no gospel whatsoever. The message says, I can't believe your fickleness, Galatians. How easily you have turned traitor To Christ by embracing a variant message. And it's not a minor variation, you know. It's a completely other, an alien message, a no message, a lie about God. So what did they do to turn away from Christ? Simple. They added something to faith in Christ that's necessary to be saved. That's all they did. And he is strongly and passionately and articulately fighting for the real gospel, the gospel of God's amazing grace. He's like someone who comes to your home, they enter in, and with hardly any pleasantries at all, they suddenly start telling you down the line. That's what Paul's doing, it's not how he starts the other letters. He's really stirred up because keeping the true gospel and the gospel true is so important because actually people's salvations are at stake. He says there are things that people are believing that are false gospels and they will will not prove true in the end. You see, God's way, the Bible says, is actually quite narrow, it's quite defined. It's called a narrow gate. And it was a picture of the wall of Jerusalem and the narrow gate that people had to go down through. You either got in the gate or you didn't. If you walked into the wall, you didn't get through. If you picture the tunnels at Kaikoura, you know the two tunnels that are there? They're actually marked. Even Whenever I drive through them, I look at the wall as you're just approaching the tunnel, and you can see that they're actually quite marked from people who didn't make it trucks or caravans that they were not dead center and they got obliterated and those tunnels show the scars of some bad accidents. The Kaikura tunnels. Look at them when you go through them next. Some people are aiming at a relationship with God and eternal life but what they're believing is not the true gospel and they are going to crash into the wall and not make it. And that's what this book is all about. Paul is explaining the way to access God and showing that any other way, even if it sounds really similar and pretty sensible, it won't work. And he's ticked off the the, the knowledge that some people's salvation is at risk, has stirred something within him. And from the moment these guys came saying, yes, you believe in Jesus, but you need some extra stuff from the Old Testament as well. Let's start with circumcision. Paul just goes, no, that's not the gospel. The gospel is grace from God through Jesus. It does not need law to be made right and to have right access and a right relationship with our Father God. It just requires what Jesus has done. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen? And so I've called this series, Jesus, Nothing Added. No additives. So what about you? Do you simply trust Jesus for your salvation? Or are you also trusting keeping certain laws and not sinning? Do you judge how you are with God by whether you've sinned in the last couple of days or not? Or do you simply know that because of what Jesus Christ has done, the Father's arms are open wide to you any time of day or night? That when he looks at you, he sees a flawless person. He knows we're flawed, But he sees his son, Jesus, all over us. We're in Christ. You know, Christy Nichols, Knock Knockles, sings like that because the revelation of this truth is so real and so deep. So the question is, what's the problem with a small addition? When we consider how we get made right with God, accepted by the Father, and how to live daily our Christian walk, Galatians tells us law or grace plus a little bit of law won't mix. Chapter 2 verse 4, chapter 2 verse 16, verse 18 and verse 21, they're all there. And whether you are accepted by God has nothing to do with whether you've been good. Being good, i.e. not sinning, is very good. The Bible's not against that. That's called sanctification. We are supposed to continue to get better. God's not against that. But God is something that is so amazingly beyond a human being's ability to be able to comprehend. He's actually dealt with all the sin in Jesus. Even the future sin in Jesus. And the church has often said, don't preach that. We're much more comfortable that people have to sit under law because that will hold them being good the problem is it doesn't work and the second problem is it is not God's way and the third problem is it's all about man not God and salvation is all about Jesus and God not man am I getting through I have lived so much of my Christian life with grace plus a lot of law and I would throw a guess out that most of us have. Yeah. And God's opening the scriptures up afresh across the planet and saying, no, it's not like that at all. Mm. Being good is a good thing. We are supposed to live well. Oh, no, I'll, I'll lose time. If, oh, let me carry on. What's wrong? <clears throat> but... It, um, so Paul's arguing and explaining this um, throughout the letter. Many people judge whether God accepts them on a daily basis on the basis of their performance. How have I gone? How long has it been since I last sinned that I know about? Of course, we've sinned that we don't know about many times. I watched a, a nice Christian this morning. I'm losing time. But anyway, coming up to the red lights, and nice Christian whizzes through basically a red light. Now, did they break the law? Did they sin? If there was a red light camera, they would be sent a ticket. There wasn't a red light camera. They won't get the ticket. Then they turned into church. <laughs> <clears throat> so there's lots of sins that are going on. We don't even credit them against us, but we've actually broken the rules. The laws are broken. We're guilty. we only got to do it once in our lifetime. You can do it in your car, right? That can be the thing. Most of us have much worse sins that we could confess, but we won't. We'll just, you've forgiven. All right. God bless you. God bless you. But but we, we often judge. Am I right with God? How, if, if we haven't sinned, we can often feel well that I'm am right with God. And if we have sinned, we can feel absolutely condemned. I've got to do something. I've got to make i got to make it up. I've got to got to please God. I've got to get back into that place where I'm God and me are mates and things are right. Now, to understand what's going on, you have to actually read the Scriptures pretty carefully and the context and and interpret why he's saying certain things. But the Scripture gives some very good clues. And he starts by saying, what I preached to you originally is absolutely true. He said in verse 4, I told you, Jesus gave his life for our sins and he rescued us. Now, there's a huge difference between Jesus empowering us to work towards our salvation and save ourselves, or partly save ourselves, and being rescued. Think Piha Rescue, for example. And in Piha Rescue, uh, they go out and the rips have got people and people foolishly swim against the rip, tire themselves out. You always swim it, uh, sideways to a rip to get out of it. But people will swim trying to get back to shore, directly against the rip, get tired out. They come to rescue you. But you see, the person can't be rescued until they're completely given out from anything that they do. If the rescuer gets too close, the person who's drowning will drown them, trying to frantically get free. It's not, and, the, and so the lifeguards are taught to push those hands out the way and flip them onto their back and grab them under here, although not to block all the air, or grab them round the chest, and, and this, the lifeguard's strength rescues them. Some of you would have seen this, guy who was an extreme sports person who tried to cross the Greymouth Bar a couple of weeks ago. It was on the news. And foolishly, he got in his little canoe and his mate was filming it and he jumped into the bar while the river's just powering out. How many have stood on the end of the embankment there when the river's in flood? And, and you, I mean, I just stand there with fear. I just, I just I don't want to get in that water. This mug was crazy enough to jump into the water within seconds, certainly within a minute. He was in dire straits. He knew that he could do nothing to rescue himself. He was going to die if it was left up to him. But he had some good mates. One of them had a life, a life ring with a rope on it. And, and they got down onto the sort of the part that can get washed, so they were pretty dangerous circumstances, and they threw it out and they rescued him, and he's this limp rag when they pull him in, and the rescuers deserve the glory. Nobody can tell anyone that that guy rescued himself and was part of the rescue. When you're rescued, you haven't got a show. You're going to drown if you're not rescued. You're going to die and that's what the Bible says for every human being. Jesus rescued us when we were totally unable to save ourselves. That's what Jesus did on the cross for all of us. But now some people had come from Jerusalem, from James. And they're saying, yeah, Jesus saves. We've got to believe in Jesus. We've got to trust Jesus. But also to be really acceptable with God, the Father, We need to add some stuff that we do to that. In other words, you as a human being need to do something to be able to be rescued. You need to keep some Old Testament laws. Let's start with circumcision. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, God bless you. And it sounds really small, this little extra that's put on there. And, And it sounds insignificant, but the effect, Paul said of making humans need to do a part in their own salvation, is to completely destroy the gospel. It doesn't just diminish it or make it less obvious. Paul says it actually destroys the gospel. And instead of Jesus being the one that saves, it puts the emphasis on the human being as the one that saves. I'll try and explain that in a little bit. They see, the gospel is Jesus saves us plus nothing else. If we have faith in Jesus, that he has done everything on the cross, that that incredible act of the cross was so... Well, there aren't... I can't think of the right word. But it was enough, more than enough, not just for you and me, but for people all across Christchurch, New Zealand, Asia, Africa, everywhere, and then through time, everywhere, Jesus plus nothing. And again, I want to ask you, is that actually what you believe? Is that actually what you are trusting? Because you see, it means our worship becomes something quite different to religion. It's like, oh, Jesus, today, I'm so glad I know you. You're the first person I want to talk to and speak to when I wake up. And you're the last person I want to be just saying good, good night to. And speak to me through the night, Lord. Give me dreams and visions and revelation. I want to do your will. I love you. You have done everything for me. I have got nothing to add to this equation. And yet you, you pick me up. You call me a son. You call me a daughter. You give me inheritance. You look after me in this life. It's incredible. Yeah. So what's Paul's? Paul makes this powerful case that he's got the right to be able to say this is right and that's wrong. And, and time's slipping away, so I'll just rush through it. But basically he says, I'm an apostle who was appointed by Jesus Christ himself. In other words, he becomes a capital A apostle. Just like the disciples, the 11 of them that made it, are capital A apostles. There have never been any other capital A apostles. Every other apostle is still apostles today, but they're small a. Do you get what I mean? Paul's saying, I have the right to do this. I was chosen and picked out personally by Jesus. And he came to me and he spoke to me about it. And then he says, I wasn't taught the gospel by humans. He said, I got it from direct revelation from Jesus. He went away for around three years. He preached a little bit, then he went out and just got lost. And, and there were big cities in, in, in Arabia. So it wasn't just wilderness experiences, but there was a lot of wilderness experience, a lot of desert." And there were times when Jesus just came to him and spoke. And this is what he said. I got it from direct revelation from Jesus. And, and he's, saying that this, he's saying this in the response to what some people were saying. And, and commentators, um, the do, text doesn't say it, but it's very likely, they say, that the people from James were saying this. Paul knows a lot, but he got trained in Jerusalem like we got trained in Jerusalem. In other words, we were on an equal par with Paul. And Paul missed this bit of the revelation. Jesus, yes, but we also need some Old Testament laws. And that truth, sorry, that falsehood had the potential to do all sorts of damage right down to our day. And Paul saw it and he says, no way. And he says, um, I, went, I went twice to Jerusalem, and he said, on the second time that I went, I wasn't going so much to test my gospel that I'd, I'd actually received, that it was the same as what the other apostles had received. And they, they, they uh, verified it when he went there in year three. Now he goes in year 14, and he's going to see whether the apostles are still hanging true to what Jesus had actually told them. Because if they said, oh yes, no, no, we've changed our thinking. We actually think that the gospel is belief in Jesus, but we also need some Old Testament law stuff. We believe that now. Then that had the potential to take all of Paul's people that he'd been winning to Christ away in the future, where they would say, oh, we've got this fuller revelation. It's by grace, but now we, now we as human beings have to be fulfilling these special requirements. And the apostles said, no way. It's still just faith in Jesus that saves a person and brings a proper relationship with, to God with them and, and takes them uh, then into, into, the, into the future. And so he took Titus along with him. And Titus, as I said, was either Turk or Greek and, and, uh, in today's uh, geography. And, and he wasn't a Gentile. And, and this was to test to see whether the Jewish apostles would walk the talk as well as talk the talk. Because now they've got a real live non-Jew in their midst who isn't circumcised. And it says some, some people in Jerusalem stood up and said, hey, he believes in Jesus, but he hasn't been circumcised. He should get circumcised. And now the other apostles that were there are not just It's not just Paul saying no way. They're saying no way. He does not have to get circumcised. He doesn't have to fulfill the law. And we're to daily, to daily live our lives clinging to Jesus. Not trusting in our own righteousness. How long we've gone without sinning. Yes, we're not to sin. But... The father doesn't, he's not more pleased with us when we don't sin than when we do sin. He's dealt with sin. He's forgiven sin. We have access to our father 24 hours a day outside of the parameters of sin. Mm. We're saved by believing what Jesus did on the cross, paid for every Single sin. Mm, Let me say it again not sinning is a good thing. It's actually what the Bible teaches. But we're talking about how do you have access with Father God? It's faith in Jesus, it's faith in the power of the cross, the fully functioning, atoning work of Jesus on the cross. And Paul's clarity to see this means that people who trust in Jesus Christ for salvation are going through those Kaikoura tunnels, right down the centre, no accidents, just straight through. And people that are believing in faith in Jesus, plus some other requirement, are going to smash into the side of the Kaikoura tunnels. So what's wrong with us doing some stuff towards our salvation? People down through the ages have have felt that we should. It's a human, natural conclusion. But remember, God said, your thoughts are here. My thoughts are so far above, we can't actually get a line. I, I actually think better than any human being. Remember? People have always thought, well, we've got to do stuff. Humanly speaking, it just sounds so right, so achievable. So long as God makes up the difference between our best and perfection, and I use this as an altar call situation, and I say, look, you know, Mother Teresa was here, and Billy Graham was here on the ladder, and perfection's here, and you know, where are you? And and what about the gap? But and I'm still going to use that. Please allow me to use it. It's the it's one of the best illustrations that people can get a handle on. But you're going to hear me say, actually, the gap is much bigger than you might even think it is. Because the gap is the total thing. Yep. Verse, chapter 2, verse 21 really sums it up really well. Paul says, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Let me, let me just expand that a little bit as the music team come. Self-salvation is completely beyond us. It's not a wall we're trying to climb or a distance we're trying to cover. It's being able to pay the cost of our rescue. And the cost meant there had to be a perfect, unblemished person who would swap what we were supposed to have and they would be sacrificed instead. And then that perfect, unblemished human being had to experience the wrath of God upon them and be able to handle it as punishment for our sins. And we have no part in that sacrificial act. We would be wiped off the planet, physically just disintegrated, if we had to take even a fraction of what was placed upon Jesus Christ. Only a perfect human, an unblemished one, could substitute for us personally. Have we got any perfect humans amongst us today? There's none. So all of us don't fit. And then we have to have a God-human to be able to bear the wrath of the Father upon him right through to the point of death and then be able to rise back from the dead. Is there anyone that would think that they could do that? But that's what was required. And that's why self-saving is impossible for human beings. And thinking we can keep the law, therefore makes us right with God, is treating Jesus' death as trivial. It's trampling with hobnail boots upon the sacred. For all eternity, when we get to heaven, and we actually can see it through heaven's eyes instead of dimly through the Bible and, and poor... Imagery and understanding in this life, we will just worship Jesus for thousands of years. We will just gaze at his face and just go, flip. <laughs> Jesus, you, you are incredible. Trampling on the sacred is to think that we can do something and to Jesus. And God's glory will never ever be shared with a man or a woman. He will forever be given the glory that he deserves, and none of it will come to us. And law-keeping is just basically impossible. So it can never make us right with the Father. And Paul makes this point strongly to Peter. He'd been zealous for moral integrity, Paul had, and he said, I could not do it. It doesn't work. I keep sinning. And for 1,500 years human beings on the planet had tried to keep the law and nobody, no matter how many humans were born, could do it except Jesus. It's impossible. And he says, actually, you will sin if you try to remake the Old Testament laws for yourself to live live under in this life. He says that to Peter. You are sinning if you do that. Verse eighteen: Rather, I am a sinner; you are a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of law that is already torn down, and then I think about sixthly, law leads to bondage. It causes us to focus on our perceived bit. Think of this: Look, if if we, this is not true, but let's just imagine that there is a scale to scale to get to heaven, perfection, and and uh, an absolute wreck down here. And, and, and we think, well, maybe we can just do this much and, and Jesus will do all of that. But the moment we put our bit in, do you know what we focus on as human beings? We focus on our bit. And we forget about Jesus. And we focus on our bit. And, and, and if we haven't seemingly sinned in the last week or so that we can think of, we can get quite proud. I'm right with God. And pride can be our problem. But if we have sinned, and most of us do, and we're focusing on our bit, we get consumed with worry and insecurity before a God who's actually saying, I've dealt with it all. Just let me love you and you love me. And that's why it's, so, it's, it's impossible, actually, for us to play a part in the, in the rescue. It leads us into into all the wrong wrong things. Insecurity with God. Because we can never know if we've done enough. However, trusting Jesus, nothing added, is how we are made right with God. And Jesus has made us right, and the Father calls us flawless because of Jesus. And from that position, we are able to live pretty well. And hopefully in the future, even better but we are, we are absolutely flawless before the Father. And keeping the law, this is about point number seven, limits God's ability to be able to save the wicked. If God only moves towards those who are moving towards him, what about the people who are truly evil? Because the good news is good news for the bad as well as the good. The bad can enter into it just as fast as a good person, seemingly good person, can enter into the truth that Jesus has done everything. Paul was one of those guys. Paul was involved in killing people being killed, possibly involved in stoning others. We know he was there with Stephen and going, yeah, kill him. Get those stones on his head. Take the life out of him. He was a bad person. And God reaches out with love to the baddest on the earth as well as the good. And that's the amazingness of grace. So in summary, let me say this. Paul is so fired up about the true gospel because only the true gospel of Jesus with nothing added makes us right with God. So any tick box system that we might have of judging ourselves by how well you've been able to keep yourself from sinning, determining whether God will accept you or not, has to go. This tick box system of keeping the law actually produces really bad fruit. It makes us legalistic, I'll start preaching again. It just produces bad fruit. It's got to go. And it denigrates God's greatest act in the universe for all eternity. In the powerful, all-covering, all-atoning death for us and resurrection to life that Jesus has done. He rescued us through that. So hopefully... Many of you have had an aha moment today and you've seen yourself in the past maybe as being grace with some law. And you want to say to Jesus today, Jesus, I may be only just starting to understand this and I may need to get into my Bible and try and get my head around it and see that it actually is there, but I want to be grace only, trusting you for salvation. So can I have every head bowed? And whether it's your first time of wanting to give your life to Jesus Christ, because what I'm saying makes sense to you, or you're just wanting to center yourself for the tunnel and say, Jesus, I trust your work on the cross alone. I'm not trusting anymore in anything that I'm doing. And I know that you'll you're, give me access to you, Father, 24-7, unconditional. I no want to put any longer want to put any confidence in my own flesh. Then I just want to ask you, if you want to do that, I just simply want you to acknowledge by just raising your hand and I want to lead you in a prayer. How many of you want to do that today? God bless you. God bless you. Bless you. God bless you. Okay. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are a perfect God-man. Can you just all play that with me? And you loved me enough to die for my sins so that I can live for you with the old completely forgiven and passed away. Come into my life today. Do the exchange of my sin for your righteousness. I'm going to trust that you alone are enough to make me right with Father God. And I'm going to live every day believing that. Walking as a son or a daughter. I give up. trying to earn your favor favor. and accept that I have it now now. because of you, Jesus. Jesus. God, God, thank you for being so good. You are more loving and kind than I ever thought you were. All of my rescue and help going forward It's because of you. You You are not judging me. me. You're cheering me on in life. Willing me to succeed. succeed. And to live well. And And I'm going to believe it. I do believe it. In Jesus' name. name. Amen. Amen.
2: Would you stand with me? Would you just get in your mind a picture of the cross with Jesus on it? I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus laid and died for me I see His womb His hands, his feet My Savior on That cursed tree His body bound And drenched in tears They laid him down In Joseph's tomb The entrance seat by heavy storm.
0: church. Um, we're going to change the all the seats and put them away now. I wonder if uh, you would just, before picking seats up, just wait until the um, trolleys are brought out, because it means a double handling. Um, and then once the trolleys are brought out, you can help to stack the trolley, which makes it much, much easier. Thank you. Okay, folks, if you can help with the chairs now, that would be much appreciated. Just bring them over, stack them up.